Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. What a privilege it is to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, that was John's main job. He was the forerunner. He was to come and tell people that he was coming, that Jesus was coming. And thinking about that, you know, he only had less than three years, actually less than that even, to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've had the privilege of doing it almost 50 years now. What a blessing. Praise the Lord. He is worth living for. He is worth exalting. When I got saved, I went from darkness to light. I mean, I didn't know anything about God. And I, he saved me, changed my life completely, gave myself to him. I still love him today. And I look forward to seeing him. Who knows? Maybe even today. Amen. Could be the day that I get caught out of here or the day we all get caught out of here one way or another. Anyway, and that would be just fine. I'm ready. I'm excited about it as well. John chapter 1, I want to begin reading at verse 19 to get us started. Notice it says, And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? He saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As said the prophet, he saith, And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? Now, let me stop right here for just a moment. Did you read the question they're asking him? He's been baptizing people. And they ask him the question, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ? But now wait a second. Where in the scripture did it say that Christ would come baptizing? You know, people say an awful lot of stupid things when it comes to them making religious questions that they know absolutely nothing about. And these people who were against Jesus, and they were against John the Baptist as well, they're asking him a really stupid question. It's not the message I'm preaching on today, but it fits real good right here. People have a lot of wrong ideas about Jesus. They have a lot of wrong ideas about the gospel. They have a lot of wrong ideas about how to get to heaven. I don't care what you think, what God says is the final word in all of it. But getting back to the passage, it says, John answered them, verse 26, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabar beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, here's the text this morning. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. For the next few moments, I want to speak on John's most famous announcement. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you this morning for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God. 
that the Spirit of God would deal with hearts. Any here that have never truly been born again, I don't care if they're religious or irreligious, if they've not been born again, they stand in peril, a heartbeat away from hell, and the only way to escape it is to come to this one who is the Lamb of God that takes away our sins. God, please move upon hearts today. Save the lost. Stir up your people, Lord, to want to serve you and announce that Jesus Christ has come and has sacrificed himself at the cross of Calvary to take our sins away. God, have your way in every heart and life, and Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, John the Baptist, for sure, is an interesting character. He's an unusual character. He's obviously not the main subject of the gospel accounts, although his story is recorded in the book of Matthew, a little bit about it in the book of Mark, and again in the book of Luke, we see some things said about him. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about John the Baptist. If you keep your hand here and go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, I want you to notice beginning in verse 7, what Jesus had to say. It says in verse 7, And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, now this is Jesus talking, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Look at that statement again. Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Well, what about the kings? What about the kings of mighty empires? No, there wasn't one greater than John the Baptist. Even though John the Baptist ruled over no kingdoms and he had no armies to follow him whatsoever. Well, what about all the famous prophets that there were? At least there were famous prophets of God. Daniel was a famous prophet of God. Elijah and Elisha. What about Isaiah? What about Jeremiah? He says, no, there's not risen a greater than John the Baptist. What an amazing statement of those that are born of women. You're not going to find one higher than John the Baptist as far as the Lord Jesus Christ was concerned. And it's interesting to me that three times he asked the question, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? What were you there looking at? The truth is, you can have somebody talk about some special vision that they saw of God or an angel. People go running out to see it. Oh, and they're amazed if they see something that's a little bit out of the ordinary. And they're flocking to it. And people are thinking, oh, this is revival. Not at all. People went running out to see John the Baptist. Didn't even know what they were going to see. They didn't get it. So he had to straighten them out. He was not the main attraction. The main attraction was the one who was coming to die for their sins. The main attraction was the Son of God. And he called Jesus one mightier than I. He called Jesus the bridegroom. 
He called Jesus and he said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. But his most famous announcement is this announcement in verse 29 when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And it's that announcement that I want to speak on this morning. Because it's interesting when you start talking about John the Baptist, there are a number of people, even these people thought, that there was something special about him, and there was something special, but they had missed it entirely. If he's not the Christ, I mean, look at the works he was doing. And yet here's the amazing thing. In the Old Testament, you had all kinds of prophecies concerning the miracles that Jesus, the Christ, would do. John did no miracles. And they're asking him if he's the Christ. Well, no, he wasn't the Christ. He, didn't, he wasn't going to do the miracles of the Christ. Only the Christ would be the one that would be doing those miracles. He never, never did speak any more clearly about Jesus' redemptive ministry of going to the cross. And in this, we see some great truths regarding the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. You say, redemptive? Boy, what is that? That's being bought back. That's being bought back from the place of sin, which only brings death. His redemptive work, he paid our sin debt. I want you to notice some things. First of all, the purpose of the Lamb's coming. You heard Jesus call him, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, there are a number of terms concerning Jesus. He's also called the bright and morning star. He is also called the lion of the tribe of Judah. We have a number of termins, term, uh, terminology uh, statements about the Lord Jesus Christ. But this one right here, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That is the main reason he came. Yeah, Jesus was a teacher. Matter of fact, he taught great things. Even the people said, no man spake like this man spake. And yes, he was a great prophet, to be sure. He was a leader. Multitudes had followed him by the millions over the centuries. Uh, he was a great example. But the greatest work of Jesus Christ was his redemptive work at Calvary. When on the cross of Calvary, the Bible says, For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. His main work, redemption. Why? Because it's man's greatest need. You know, there are a lot of people who think that man needs to be lifted up out of poverty. Now, that may be a need, but that's not his greatest need. Well, the man needs to be lifted up till he can realize his full potential, but he'll never know that apart from knowing Christ as Savior. It just can't happen. It's just not possible. Man's greatest need is salvation. In order to turn people to the Savior, John had to bring people to a proper awareness of their sinfulness. There's a reason he preached holiness. There's a reason that he preached repent. Because you see, people get so absorbed with their own spiritual regimens that they think somehow they are good enough to go to heaven on their own. But there is no spiritual reg regimen that you can partake in that will take care of even one of your sins. For the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
Your works cannot get you there. It don't count for anything. For the Bible declares this, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Romans 8, 8 declares, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, Israel did not think that their greatest need was redemption. What they needed was they needed to be set free from the foreign powers that were around them. In the case in Jesus' day, they were thinking that when the Christ would come, he would throw off the yoke of Rome from them. And they didn't realize at first the yoke of sin had to be thrown off from them. Jesus was going to have to pay that debt at Calvary. They thought the political and the cultural and the material world was against them. They wanted a lion when what they needed was a sacrificial lamb. And Jesus is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The reality is Christ is more popular as the babe in the manger as he is the Christ on the cross. We love a little baby in a manger. Oh, and that's precious to see that little manger scene. But the manger scene bought us nothing. If all we had was a manger scene, we'd still all be on the road to hell. It's Christ on the cross paying our sin debt, dying for us so that we can have life. No matter how many social programs you have, no matter what governmental system you have, man's number one need is to have their sin taken care of. You see, that internal cancer can't be taken care of with a plaster on the finger, and religion is nothing more than plaster on a finger when it comes to doing anything about your sin. It's not going to save you. It will not take your sins away. There are three important truths about this. When he says in this verse, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And the first one is this. He is, he is needed by all men. He said the sins of the world. It's amazing how many times the Apostle John uses the term world. When he's talking about salvation... The word world is found over and over again. He is saying that the world needs the lamb. You realize over in Russia what they need is the lamb. Over in communist China what they need is the lamb. Over in India with its 1.6 billion people they need the lamb. You see that's the need. We think oh somehow just militarily we could fix some things. with No, no they need the lamb. Without the lamb, they'll never have anything straightened. Everybody needs the lamb of God. He is not just for Israel. He's for the world. If you look over, just go back to John and look over a couple of chapters from chapter 1 to chapter 3. And I want you to notice beginning at verse, uh, beginning at verse 14. Where he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now look at this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. 
But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, you've got a people out there that follow the teachings of a man by the name of John Calvin who say that it doesn't mean that. God didn't love the world. God only loved the elect. And the whosoever believeth in him, that doesn't mean whosoever of the world, but whosoever of the elect. There's absolutely no biblical reason to change what it very clearly means. Jesus knew the word elect. Jesus could have used that word if he'd wanted to. He didn't do it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, over in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says, And he, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When the scripture says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Any means any, and all means all. You can't get away from it. Over and over again, the Bible is extremely clear. And any other teaching is pure heresy. You find John thundering out against sin in Matthew chapter 3, verses 2 through 10. Again in Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. He preached on their sin. He called the people to repentance, which is fine. But his announcement that makes it all worthwhile, behold... The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 12, uh, verse 11, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Man, that's as plain as plain can be. In John 8, 24, Jesus told the Jews, search, uh, in verse 24, uh, I've lost the verse. Let me go ahead and turn to it. John chapter 8 and verse 24. Well, I haven't really lost the verse. It's right here in my Bible. Verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. It's Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You say, why is that necessary? Because every one of us have sinned against a holy God. The Bible says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in John 3, 22 and 23, for there is no difference for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. We like to compare ourselves to other people. And think somehow we compare ourselves to people that we think are not as good as what we are. And that somehow, since we're a little bit better than these people we compare ourselves with, that we're going to get to heaven and they're not. We'll say some people say something like this. Well, at least I'm not a hypocrite like those people that go to church. Well, guess what? Those people that go to church will die and go to hell if they don't get born again. And you will too. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So first of all, he's needed by all men. Secondly, he can save all men. He was able to take away the sin of the world. If the problem is sin, someone has to take it away. 
He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. As 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. In Hebrews 10.12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He's not being sacrificed again. Once was enough. He took care of all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, thank God he is needed by all men and he can save all men. I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. I love this verse. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. This is powerful. Look at what Jesus can do. He says, wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He saves To the uttermost. As one man put it, from the guttermost to the uttermost. That's how Jesus saves. As he can save the chiefest of sinners, according to Paul in 1 Peter 1, 15. He'll save any sinner that comes to him, but as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus said, all the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done in your life. You come to Jesus, he'll save you. He won't throw you away. He'll receive you. That's his promise to everybody because he's paid the full price for everybody's sin. It is taken care of. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So not only is he needed by all men and he can save all men, but he's the only one who can. In 1 John chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, the Bible says, For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Peter's preaching in Acts 4.12 and he says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Christ is the only one who can save. Behold, the Lamb of God. He didn't say a Lamb of God. He said the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So we see his purpose. But then in this, we also see the providing of the Lamb. For Jesus is the Lamb of God, since all had sinned, And Romans 8, 8 says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It lets us know it was impossible for any other man to be the sacrifice for the sins of anybody. It had to be a sinless sacrifice. That's what God demanded, a sinless sacrifice. And God is the only one 
who could provide that kind of a sacrifice, and he did it through himself. In Galatians 2.20, the Bible says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, when I talk about knowing I'm going to heaven, I'm, I'm not telling people I am so good. I'm going to heaven when I die. Nobody can say that. Nobody can say that. It's only by his grace that anybody gets to heaven. And grace is God's undeserved favor. We don't deserve the privilege of going to heaven. But by his grace, through his shed blood at Calvary, his death, his burial and and resurrection, everybody can have it. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 22. And God told Abraham to take his son Isaac. Take him to Mount Moriah. And offer your son for a sacrifice on the mount. Now, God had no intention of Abraham putting his boy to death. But when they got there to the mount, Abraham had the stones and the wood, all that was needed for the altar. And they carried it up to Mount Moriah. And his boy said to him basically this, well, we've got the stones, we've got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's statement was this. God will provide himself a sacrifice. And of course, you know the story as Abraham raised the knife over his boy. There was the bleeding of the ram there and uh, that ended up being the sacrifice that would be given. But the point was God provided himself because you see, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is God. And he provided himself. Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name, we're talking about Jesus, the son, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He provided himself as the sacrifice. He paid the ultimate price at Calvary for us. So with that, we see some truths here. Number one, the lamb was provided by God. He provided the lamb. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was a sacrifice that he gave. The only way sin could be taken care of would be for God to provide the lamb and through his son be the lamb. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Not only that, the lamb was provided for God. You see, ultimately, in order for the sacrifice to be any good, it had to be accepted by God. Now, God provided the sacrifice, but he also provided it for himself. The only way you can have a sacrifice that's good enough is for God himself to be the sacrifice. And that's what he did at Calvary. You see, ultimately, the sacrifice had to satisfy God. It was his holiness that had been sinned against. It was his being that had been wrong. It had to be a sacrifice that would be accepted by God because it was for him. Now, let me give you an example from the Old Testament. After the fall of man, you remember that Adam and Eve were taught about the blood sacrifice. They tried to cover themselves with leaves, and that wasn't good enough. 
God to an animal and made coats for them. Well, they were to be taught their, they were to teach their children about the blood sacrifice that would be necessary for them. And in that, when it came time for Cain and Abel to sacrifice to God, Cain, you remember, brought of the fruit of the ground. That was not a blood sacrifice. Abel brought of the first of his flock. That was a blood sacrifice. And the Bible says that God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice, but not unto Cain's. You see, I don't care what you bring. If it's not accepted by God, then you're no better off. He has to accept it. It has to be an offering that he will take. And he has given us in the scripture what he accepts. That's why when it says they that are in the flesh cannot please God and all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. And the Bible says not by works of righteousness which, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. You understand there's absolutely nothing good that you can give God to take care of even one of your sins. Yet alone all of them. This sacrifice of his son accepted by God. Not only that, the lamb was provided in God because the deity of Jesus Christ is seen in the scripture. He is God. As a matter of fact, over in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, let's go ahead and turn there. Go over to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. In this passage, God is speaking to the Ephesian elders. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. And he makes an an interesting statement in verse 28. He says to these pastors, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God. Now look at this. To feed the church of God, which he, God, hath purchased with his own blood. When did God ever shed his blood? At Calvary. At Calvary, he purchased us. No wonder Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Behold, the Lamb of God was taken away the sin of the world. We see the purpose of the Lamb in that statement. We see the providing of the Lamb. And we also see the pain of the Lamb. For the Lamb had to go through the sacrifice. This very designation spoke of sacrifice. The Jews understood this well. From Egypt to the daily sacrifice of the lambs at the temple, they understood the typology that was there, that the Son of God, the Lamb of God, would be that sacrifice that would have to suffer. As a matter of fact, go over to the book of Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, it is resurrection day. Jesus meets up with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. These two disciples had heard that Jesus had risen from the dead. But the amazing thing is they had not believed it. And so Jesus rebukes them in verse 25. It says in chapter 24 and verse 25, Then said he unto them, 
O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now what about that? He goes all the way through the whole Old Testament. Everything that was done to Jesus, all the suffering that he had had, had already been recorded in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, when Peter's preaching to the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Do you understand these New Testament truths did not begin in the New Testament? They were given back in the Old Testament. How do we know what took place in the New Testament is true? Because they're exactly what God said would happen in the Old Testament including his resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. So you hear his cry from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I personally believe that the main pain on the cross had nothing to do with the thorns in his head. I don't believe they had anything to do with the nails in his hands or the nails through his feet. I believe the greatest pain On that cross, when Jesus, the holy Lamb of God, the one who had never sinned one time in his entire life, never thought a wrong thought, never said a wrong thing, never did a wrong deed. He was right about everything that he had done. He had always pleased the Father. But on the cross of Calvary, God made him to be sin for us. God had to turn his back on his son for those three hours. The first time in the very history of Almighty God that the Father and the Son were separated. And it was because of your sin and mine. Now we all understand something about physical pain. And I believe one of the reasons perhaps that the scene of the cross is so gruesome is because we do understand something about physical pain. And it's almost impossible for us to grasp how great the pain must have been when the Holy One was made sin. And you can hear it in Jesus' cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That suffering was for sin. The debt was paid through his blood. Unfortunately, today we don't know much about history like we used to. I was born after the Second World War, so I was not around for that part, but I've read an awful lot about it, and I have to say that Winston Churchill is one of my heroes in the Second World War. But regardless of that, Winston Churchill was a master with words. He had the knack of putting ideas in the words that would stun people. After the horrible blitzes of London when the Royal Air Force performed brilliantly and took out so many of the Nazi bombers that were bombing England, and there's no, there's no way that you could calculate how many lives were saved because of those few who flew those spitfires in the sky. And he made this statement. Churchill said, never 
in the history of mankind have so many owed so much to so few. Now, even today, most people who are at least from England, those are very special words. The only problem was he was wrong. Because in the history of mankind, let us reword it with the Lamb of God in view. Never in the history of mankind have so many owed so much to just one. Which, by the way, is the whole point of Romans chapter 5. Behold, the Lamb of God was taken away the sin of the world. People get all caught up in personalities. Forget the personalities today. We need to get caught up in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, I feel so inadequate to be able to convey the depth of this very statement by John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Reality is, Lord, I wish there was some way I could, by words, convince people that he is their only hope, and he's waiting to save them if they'll turn to him. But if they die without him, they have no sacrifice for sins. They'll die lost and burn in hell for eternity. God, please, if there's any in this auditorium or listening over the Internet right now who don't have Christ as Savior, that they'd be willing to bow their head before you and say, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I now place all my faith and trust in the Savior, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who took my sins upon him. I trust him, his death, his burial, his resurrection. God, please speak to hearts. And Lord, for those who are saved, if we got the depth of what we were talking about today, we wouldn't have to plead with people to be faithful to church. They'd want to be there. We wouldn't have to plead with people to read their Bible. They'd want to read their Bible. They'd want to live for this one who gave himself for them. So Lord, you have your way in every heart now. I ask it in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many can say by simply raising your hand, Well, thank God, preacher, if I died right now, I know I'd go to heaven. I've been born again, and I know it. Praise the Lord. Would you slip your hand up? Anywhere in the auditorium, all over the auditorium, God bless you. That's a great sight. Hallelujah. Thank you. Put them down. Friend, if you could not raise your hand, I want you to listen to this Bible verse. It says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. God says you can have eternal life and know it. Is there someone this morning that simply by raising your hand you'd be saying to me, Preacher, I don't know if I died right now I'd go to heaven, but I want to go to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up where I could see it and then put it back down? I'm not going to come to you. God bless you. Thank you. I'll pray for you. Somebody else, Preacher, pray for me. I don't know if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Please pray for me. Just slip your hand up anywhere else in the auditorium. Listen, friend, God, God went to that cross in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you. He wants to save you. 
And if you'll accept him today, he will. Are there some Christians today that say, Preacher, I'm ashamed. I'm saved. I've taken Christ as Savior, but I'm not living for him like I should, and I know it. Please pray for me. Child of God, would you slip your hand up this morning? God bless you. Several hands, different parts of the auditorium, all right? Let's do something about it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, you've spoken to hearts. Now, you're not going to make anybody get saved. I know that. You've made that very plain. But you do give them an invitation. They could come to you today, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So, Lord, blessing this invitation, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.